starting in verse 1. Beautiful, amazing passage here. Starts here, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Pray with me, please. Lord Jesus, I I just thank you for this amazing passage of of your love and, and your grace for for sinners like us. We were once foolish and disobedient and enslaved and, and all those things. But because of your great love, you, you saved us, Lord. The gospel is not about what we need to do. It's not about us cleaning our, our lives. It's about what you've done and, and how you've cleaned us, Lord. And that changes us, Lord. It changes how we live. Help us see that, Lord. Help us live as your people. Filled with gratitude and and humility because of who we were and and who you're making us to be. Bless this time, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So quick recap of Titus. Titus is all about the the faith. Titus starts the, or Paul starts the book of Titus with uh, their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. There's this whole idea of truth. The truth of the gospel leading to godly living, Christ-like living. And so that's why chapter 1 is about, about how knowledge of the truth shapes godly living in the church. Chapter 2 is about uh, how the gospel shapes godly living in our homes. And now chapter 3, as we go, it's, we're going to see it's godly living before the world, right? The church on mission, seeking to be a blessing, that's what chapter 3 is about. And it made me think of, of uh, I don't know if you uh, like superhero movies, like, uh, like Spider-Man, right? Peter Parker. One of the big things of, in Spider-Man is that he's got this great privilege, right? This great power. And it's to be stewarded for the good of others, right? He's, Peter Parker is told that with great privilege comes great responsibility, right? He's got this amazing privilege, amazing powers. And he's to steward it for the good of others. And a similar idea you kind of you see in, in Superman. I don't know if you saw the... I haven't seen the new Superman. I don't understand this Batman and Superman fighting. Well, I don't understand that. That's weird to me. But the last one where... where I remember this. There was this that his, you can see his, his father always telling him, Hey, no, don't, don't use these powers to, to beat up on these guys that are picking you picking on you, right? He's, he's always telling them, hey, control these powers and use them for the good of others. And he even, if you, if you remember that, the last Superman movie, his, his father's out there dying in a tornado, and his dad's telling him, no, it's not time, right? Use your, your gifts not for yourself, not for selfish gain, for, for the good of others. And that's, that's really what uh, Spider-Man and Superman are about. And, 
And Christians similarly have been given this amazing privilege, the amazing privilege of being saved by God's grace, right? To be forgiven, to be loved and accepted in Christ Jesus, right? And and this great privilege comes great responsibility. And one of the ways the Bible speaks about this is that you've been blessed, right? God's people have been blessed to be a blessing to others, right? that's That's the Old Testament uh, call of God's people, of Abraham, and, and, and God saves these people to, to be a blessing. And last week, we even we saw this, this same kind of idea, right? We saw that God's people, God has saved his people to be a people for his own possession. If, even if you look at it, look, it says in, in a verse, chapter 2, verse 14, right, that God is purifying for himself a people for his own possession, and who are zealous for good works, right? So these, these, we saw last week that God's people have been justified. They've been purified. They, we've been adopted. These amazing truths, right? We've been brought into the, 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 a new family, a new citizenship. We're now in Christ, in relationship with the God of the universe. And what we see always in the, in the, in the Scriptures is that, that when God saves, right, this great privilege that happens, it's always followed with, now here's how you live. Now here's how you live. And and, and that's exactly what what Paul was talking about last week. He said, hey, grace trains us, right? Grace is training us, this this great privilege and and God's grace, his love, his unmerited favor for you is now training you to say no to sin, to renounce ungodly living. And it's training you to say yes, to be zealous for good works. And that's, what, that's what's happening here, right? We're, we're saved by grace, but we're saved for good works. We're saved to put God on display. And so that's what today's all about. With great privilege comes great responsibility. We're going to see how God's new family, these new people for his own possession, are to live before the world, and why. So verses 1 to 2 tell us why, how we're to live, and 3 to 7 is, is why, right? So verses 1 to one 2, it says, Remind them to be su- submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and show perfect courtesy towards all people. All right, so Paul is is reminding Titus to keep reminding the people that this is how they are to live. This is how my people, or the people of God, are to live. And he says that we're to be submissive, submission, right? Now, he's writing about submission because submission to, to Roman government and authorities were, were a big problem in this time. If you remember, right, this is just after the the, the cross and resurrection, right, where, where Jesus, the Messiah, incarnates and comes into this world. And Jesus comes into a world that is eagerly anticipating a Messiah, a Savior, the, the promised one, right? The Jewish people are waiting for this. Now, what they're expecting, though, is, is a Messiah that's going to come in as a conquering Messiah. He's going to overthrow the Roman government, right? He's going to stand against them. We're gonna, he's going to subjugate the Gentiles. The, the Jews are going to rule once again, right? The, the nation of Israel. 
And, and so because they're looking for that, they miss Jesus. They miss Jesus who comes. In fact, he does come to establish his kingdom. But it's not by force and might, right? It's by him laying down his life for a people and conquering Satan, sin, and death through his resurrection. And so now because the, the Jews are looking for a wrong Messiah, they miss the Messiah, right? And so the Jews are, are continually, they're, they're waiting for an uprising, right? There's, the, the, there's a couple Jewish groups called, one's the Zealots, where they want to overthrow Rome, and there's lots of uprisings that happen over hundreds of years. And, and there's the Pharisees that are pretty much aligned with them, ready to overthrow Rome. Which, if you think about it, now these are the people who, who these people have been shaped by this culture. And now Paul's calling them to, to live differently in this culture, to, to submit and obey. And, 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 and similarly, that's what, God's calling us to do in this culture, right? And I think we live in a time, too, where, where we, we don't want submission, right? We saw last chapter 2, self-control. That's not very popular to talk about. Chapter 3, now he's talking about submission. No one likes to hear about submission, but Paul's calling us to live this way, submitting to government, right? That's what rulers are, is, is, is government. This is this, uh, is God, the government is God-ordained authority, right? They're not perfect, right? They're not the church. They're not all Christians. But God has given and God raises up rulers and authorities and nations, and he brings them down. And so here in America, we have a government that, uh, that God has put in power. And so we're to, to submit to them, to obey them. That means, that means we uh, obey the laws of the land, right? That we, means we obey the laws. That means we, we pay our taxes. That means we, we respect police officers. That means we, we uh, seek to pray for our leaders and not rebel against them. Right. And, and, and there are some, at times, unjust laws and, and crooked politicians. And, and, and thank God we have ways to, to do God-glorifying ways to protest or or we can vote. There's things we can do that are still submission that, that, that are legal, right? That we can stand against unjust things. So he's calling us to that. And, and we also have to remember that we are to obey our government, right? Unless they command us to do what God is, is saying is wrong, right? If they're asking us to do evil or, or to disobey God, God is our ultimate authority. And we obey and submit to him ultimately. All right. So, but I, and in here it also includes authorities, which would mean uh, school, right? It's your school that your kids go to, the teachers they're at, the principal. That means we, we follow school rules and classroom rules. It means also authorities could be your, your boss. Right? If you have a boss at work, God's calling you to submit and obey your boss, right, to to work hard, to seek his, his well-being, to be a blessing at work. To not, you know, as soon as the boss leaves, you, you go and it, it's break time all of a sudden, right? But it, it, submitting means that you're going to work hard and, and do your best to the glory of God at work. 
last week, a couple weeks ago, we saw submission to elders, right? This is God's setting up structures to, to keep order in society. And so God's already called us in chapter 1 to submit to elders and, and godly leadership, to put ourselves under that authority for our own good, follow their advice, trust them. We already saw in chapter 2 about authority and structure in the home, how wives are to, to submit to their husbands and children are to obey their parents. Right? Structure and authority is good. It's knowledge. It's wisdom. It's for our protection. And so it, it's, that's one of the hard things with, when you talk about governing authorities. Like, now how do I live that out? Right? How do I live that out? And I think I want to leave that to you to, to wrestle with. Usually where, where those places where you're struggling is a place where you're going to have to pray and seek wisdom. All right? Number two we see there. And I think this is, he says, be ready for good, every good work. And that God's people are to be, be intentionally thinking, how can I be a blessing? How can I do good wherever I go? One way you can think about it is, is imagine if someone gives you a million dollars. And they say, hey, this million dollars, it's not for you. I want you to go out and, and see, find people that you can bless with it. Right? So, so you go out and you're looking... You're looking for opportunities, right? You're looking for homeless people or you're looking for a single mom or you're looking for someone at work who is, who, who is just struggling in life. You're, you're seeking, you're looking for these intentional ways to, to bless people. And that's what he's saying, right? Be ready. Be looking around. Be, be intentional. A lot of times we don't live like that. We're just kind of, I know for me, I'm very task-oriented, so I'm always focused on, what the next task is, the next place I need to be. I'm always in a hurry. And sometimes I'm in a hurry, and I'm like, what am I in a hurry for? Chill out, all right? So being ready is like, okay, calm down. Look, look at what's going around you. Look at people. What are they going through? Be intentional to, to listen, to care enough, to, to bless them. And, and, and look for those opportunities where I'm going to be able to serve and love them and pray for them. All kinds of different ways, not just financially. And so if you're ready for every good work, it goes along with this idea of grace is training us, right? Grace is training us. We've been training in grace. We've been focused on who God is and what he's done for me, right? I'm so, uh, so thrilled with the gospel. I'm so thankful for for what Jesus has done, right? I'm focused. I'm remembering who, what my identity is now. I'm in Christ. I'm an heir of God, loved and accepted. And, and now uh, I've been trained in that good news of the gospel. And now I'm ready for every good work, right? I'm ready. And so uh, you have to be ready. I, I, I believe it always starts at home. You should be ready at home to, to be a blessing, right? If you're a parent, right, I'm, I'm ready to to bless my kids, to pray for them, to disciple them, to open up the Bible. I'm ready to bless my spouse. I'm not all about, about myself, right? I'm, uh, here's one is if, if you're a college student, if you're a student and you're living at home, the tendency is to think that, that you don't have to contribute to the home, right? Because you grow up as a, as a kid and you just think, well, everyone always takes care of me and serves me. And, and you kind of just think, oh, the home is not a place where I where I serve and contribute, 
But no, I mean, if you're part of a household, home is the first place where you serve and contribute, right? You seek to be a blessing whether you're, you're from, you know, I want to teach that to, from my kids and up to when you're in college and you're an adult, you're at home, you're, you're there to be a blessing, ready for every good work. And that goes out to, like we said, right, to, to work, to school. I'm, I'm always seeking to be a blessing, because this is who I am, right? I have this great privilege. I've been given this responsibility to, to share this great blessing that I have. The other thing here, three, is not speaking evil and arguing, but gentle and courteous. Gentle and courteous means humble and kind. It, it, this reminded me of the other day I, was, uh, I had someone donate a van to me that I was going to give to my sister. And when I went to pick up this van, it, it was beat up. It, it was disgusting. I mean, he was pulling all this trash, and he had all these, like, tools in there. And literally, there was a, a layer of dirt in there, a couple inches thick. The front windshield was cracked. Uh, the tires were barely, you know, had any air in them. And I had to drive this thing from Peoria to my house. And I wasn't very happy. <laughs> I wasn't looking forward to this. The blinkers didn't work. And I, and I had to go to the gas station to go air up the tires and fill it up, check the fluids and stuff before I drove it. And when I got to this gas station, uh, have you ever done that where you have this miscommunication with someone? So there was this lady waiting across, and so I stopped, and she stepped and then stopped. So I said, like, oh, she stopped. So I went to go forward, and then she stepped up again into in front of me. And so we were doing this little, you know, cat and mouse, chicken kind of thing. And then suddenly, and, and then she just gave up and walked in front of me. She said, what an idiot. And, and when she said that, I mean, I was pissed. I'm all pissed. <laughs> and, my, and I'm trying to, okay, I'm just going to ignore her. I'm going to try to be Christ-like. And then Olivia was with me. She said, Dad, she called you an idiot. <laughs> and my pride just couldn't handle it. I said, she's an idiot. And I, and I pull around, and I'm already all embarrassed in my pride, you know, for driving this beat-up van, you know. And, and I had to ask Olivia for forgiveness, right? The lady didn't hear me, but I had to ask Olivia for forgiveness for how I had spoken about this woman. That's not the way I want to respond or I want my, my children to respond, right? This, he's calling us to not speak evil, right? No arguing. But rather be gentle and, and courteous, right? And at that point, my, my pride was high, and, and I wasn't being gentle. I wasn't courteous. I was speaking evil. And so every day, we have these opportunities. You're going to have those opportunities every day to, be, to not speak evil, to be gentle and kind to people, to respond with grace, to respond with love. And they're typically going to come at those difficult times, right? It's easy when people are nice to you. It's really easy. You can always do that really easy. But what about the guy, you know, who in traffic who cuts you off and flips you off, right? What about your coworker that's talking trash about you behind your back, right? What about the, that difficult family member that always come up and stir up drama, right? And he's calling us to look for these opportunities, be ready for every good work, and, and, and speak loving and kind and gentle with the, uh, other people, right? Forgiving them, loving them, not because of how they treat you, but because how Christ has already loved you and treated you, 
right? It always, it always flows out of, out of God's love for you, out of your new identity. So I'd, I'd encourage you, look for those opportunities. Be gentle and courteous. If you're not intentionally thinking about that, you're just going to respond however you've, however you've always responded. So be intentional. I'd encourage you. I'd love to hear, hear uh, stories about that in, you know, in RC if, if you have those opportunities. Maybe there's already someone that's just on your nerve, on your last nerve right at work. Maybe it's a family member and you need to ask for forgiveness. Maybe you need to confess to them how you've been harboring bitterness and ask for forgiveness and, and speak love to them. I'd encourage you to do that. So uh, you might ask, well, why, why are these things important? Why do we do these things, right? Well, this is all about putting God on display, right? This is the whole reason that God has left his church here in the world. He's left his church here on mission of glorifying him, of, of displaying, of being a display piece, right? A city on a hill, light to the world. God has left us here for this specific purpose, right? He's, as the Father has sent me, Jesus said, so I'm sending you. He sent his church, right? Jesus could have ended it all right there after, after the resurrection, but he said, no, I got, he's got a plan to save many, many more people. And his means of doing it is his church, right? These new people who he's given this new identity, who he's adopted into his family. These are the people I'm going to use to continue my mission until I return, Christ said. So don't forget who you are. I mean, that is who you are as a Christian, as a missionary of God. 24-7, wherever God has you, wherever you work, wherever you go to school, in your home. And, I, and, and I, I think a lot of times we'll hear people say, but why? Why should I have to submit and obey and be kind and courteous and do good works to all these people? They don't care about me. These crooked politicians, all they do is they care about themselves. You know, my boss, he's lazy and, and, and he doesn't even work hard. And, and, and my teacher, she's incom- this teacher's incompetent, right? That's where our heart wants to go. Our heart wants to go to excuses on why we shouldn't have to do this. And, and I, I want to remind you of, of, of history, right? Paul was, was killed by the Roman government he was calling God's people to submit to. I mean, Paul was killed, right? He had it much worse than you. And Jesus, again, Jesus himself was killed because he submitted to Pontius Pilate. He submitted himself to the, the Roman government. And I, and I think Christians today often think that, that we, we should be exempt from things that are difficult. We should be exempt from pain and suffering. We should have a comfort, comfortable, easy, pain-free life. I mean, that's what most Christians believe. We have been shaped by the prosperity gospel more than we even know about. Right? We, we think we, should, we have the right to a healthy, wealthy, prosperous life. And, and that's not what Jesus said, right? He says, hey, as they, they treated me, they're going to treat you. Right? They hated me, they're going to hate you. Right? Jesus called us to, to suffering for his sake. And I, I was reading this, I was reading Twitter the other day, and I, I got this Twitter quote from a, a person who, 
claims to be a Christian. And this person said, you are the point of you. You are the reason. You do not exist for anyone else else's pleasure or consumption. You are the point of you. And, and I read that and I was shocked, right? Like, wow, this person claims to be a Christian and, and they're just so obviously and overtly, they're not about Christ and his glory, they're about themselves. And, if, and, and I thought like, wow, she's just more honest than all of us, right? Because oftentimes we might not say this, but this is the way we operate, right? I exist for me. And know what happens when we exist for ourselves? We're angry, frustrated, unsatisfied, miserable. I mean, when you truly just live for yourself, what happens is you get bored and angry because not everyone else, the the world doesn't revolve around me, and so I'm upset at everyone because why aren't they living for me? And we're miserable. That's why, right, Americans are all on all these antidepressants and miserable. We're the most prosperous nation in the history of the world because we're living for ourselves. But I want to remind you, great privilege comes great responsibility. We're saved for good works. We do not exist for ourselves. You do not exist for you. You exist for for God's glory and the good of others. When we live for ourselves, we're, we're like spoiled, rich, entitled kids. Think about that, right? We're God's kids, and when we begin to say, oh, it's all about me, we're just like those little spoiled, rich, entitled kids you see on, on TV or you meet, and you're just kind of like, oh, they're so annoying, right? They think the world revolves around them. They think they're better than other people. But when that, that's what happens when we begin living for ourselves. We're spoiled, entitled Christians. And Paul is dealing with that right here. Paul's going to remind us that we're not better than anyone. Right? We're not better than anyone. Look at, look at verse 3. Titus reminds us, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves of various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Right? All those people that you want to look down upon, you were just like them. Right? You're not any better than them. You didn't clean yourself up. You didn't earn or deserve God's grace. Right? And, it, and you look at here, and there was no reason for God to save you. Right? This, here's the, this is the list of characteristics. When God looked down at you, before he saved you, this is the list of characteristics he saw, and it wasn't good, right? He didn't, he didn't say, oh, look, but they're, it, they're, they're good people, right? No, he said, these people are horrible, right? He didn't say, oh, they're not that bad, right? He had a thousand reasons to condemn us forever. But he saves us not because of us, in spite of us, because of his own mercy, he saves us. And so that's, I think that's a great reminder to humble us, right? It humbles us. It keeps us thankful to remember who we are without Christ. And what you see is who we were is the complete opposite of who God is changing us to be. Look at who we were. Foolish and disobedient. Who's God changing us to be? Submissive and obedient. 
right? So the opposite of, of, of uh, submission is foolishness, right? If you don't want to submit to authority that God's placed over you, it's foolishness. And God is making us submissive and obedient people. Here's who you were. You were led astray, slaves to passions and pleasures. Now, who's God making you to be? A person ready, ready for every good work, right? Zealous for good works. That's better. <laughs> That's much better than being a slave and being controlled by my passions to being self-controlled and, and a blessing to others. You're living in malice, envy, and hate, right? And now God's making us a gentle and courteous people, all for his glory. And so what we see here is that God accepts us how we are, but he doesn't leave us as we are, right? Uh, Josue posted that up on uh, Facebook this past week. God accepts us as we are, but he doesn't leave us as we are, right? He's changing us. He intervened while we were in that sin, while we were those people. He intervened. He saved us. That's what verse 4 through, through 7 about is what God has done, right? When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, it says, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Right? So we are facing judgment and death. There was nothing we can do about it. We were deceived and enslaved, it tells us, right? We're deceived and enslaved. We're powerless and helpless. But then the the, look at how it says it, the goodness and loving kindness of God. Do you think about God that way? Like, the goodness. God is good. He's loving. God is kind. The goodness and loving kindness of, of God, our Savior, appeared. Speaking of Jesus, right? Jesus uh, is the goodness and loving kindness of God. He appeared. He took on flesh, right? The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Jesus, Colossians 1, is the image of the invisible God. He appeared, incarnated, and He saved us. He rescues helpless sinners who deserve condemnation and death, who don't deserve anything good. He saved us. That's good news. You know, amen? That's good news. He saved us. We didn't deserve it. And He does it by the washing of regeneration and and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Uh, I love this. Regeneration means new genesis, new beginning, right? He's making us to be a new creation, new, new beginning, right? New, we're raised from death to life. Ephesians 2.1 tells us you were dead in your trespasses and sins, right? And if you're dead... You can't make yourself alive, right? God had to do something, an amazing miracle to regenerate us, to give us new life. The first fruits of the new creation is happening in God's people, right? The, the new creation is, it will be fulfilled at, at the last times when, when Christ re returns and he makes all things new. That's what he's going to do, right? He's, he says in, in Revelation, he says, behold, 
I'm making all things new. Jesus is the first fruits from the dead. And he's making us new, right? The new creation is happening with God's people. And rebirth means born again, new life, raised from death to life. And just like a baby can't choose to be born, it can't make itself alive, right? We can't make ourselves alive. This rebirth, totally dependent on God, like a baby. It's all the mercy and loving kindness of God. And I love this. This happens because of our Trinitarian God. Look at this, verse 4. The goodness and loving kindness of God appears, right? It's speaking of the Father. The goodness and loving kindness of God the Father appears through Jesus. And then, verse 5, the Holy Spirit washes, washes us and gives us new life. Verse 6, the Spirit is poured out richly on us through Jesus. Jesus is intertwined in all, that whole passage. But we see the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit working together in community to transform His people. Right? So the Father devises the plan. He sends the Son into the world. The Son fulfills God's plan and His will by submitting Himself and obeying the Father. And the Spirit is the one that uh, applies the grace of God into our lives. And verse 7, being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Right? We're justified. That means we're, we're declared innocent. We're declared innocent because Jesus got what we deserve. Right? Jesus got what we deserve. He dies the death we deserve to die so that we can get what we don't deserve. We become Heirs, we get Christ's inheritance. We share in that inheritance of Christ, brought into the family, right? And so now, anything that is true of Christ is now true for us in Christ. We share in that inheritance. We're loved and accepted in Christ. We're part of the family of God. We have this hope eternal Justified, purified, adopted, treasure in heaven, hope for eternal life through Christ. So what should all this do for us? Well, I think uh, it should cause us to have this great gratitude for the gospel, right? Should, it, it, we should have this great gratitude for God for saving us, right? Because look, this tells us we were horrible human beings. Man is not basically good. That's what the culture likes to say, right? The world around us will say man is basically good, and they just need some education or some morality and, and just be the best you can be. And the Bible tells us, no, you are, you're horrible, and you don't deserve anything, and, and yet God still saves us. And then there's these this great benefits, right? So it gives us this, this great gratitude for what Christ has done for us. I think it humbles us. This should humble us to, to remind us of who we once were, that we're not better than anyone, right? Like I wasn't saved because I, I, I did a lot of good things and cleaned myself up. And that should humble us to be able to love sinners. It should enable us to love difficult people who don't love us, 
So maybe treat us with disrespect. It enables us to love them, right? Or those other people who, who are maybe doing despicable things. I can, I can remember like, man, if it wasn't for Christ, I could be there just as easy, right? It humbles me because I'm not better than those people. I just have God's grace. And now I can love them and pray for them and seek their good. Three, it should make us live like an heir, right? I am, this is who I am. This great privilege now gives me this, this great responsibility. So now I want to submit to authorities and rulers. I want to, to be ready for every good work because of what Christ has done for me. I want to be gentle and courteous. Remember your identity in Christ. Right? You're, you're not your job or where you go to school or, or mom or dad. You're, you're a citizen. Ultimately, your, your true identity is a, a child of God and a citizen of the kingdom of God. Right? Live out of that identity. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I love you. Thank you for this truth. Thank you for the reminder of who we are, who we once were outside of your grace, Lord, who we would be. Still, if it wasn't for your grace, thank you for your love. Thank you for the great privilege it is, Lord, to, to be saved by grace, Lord, to be redeemed, to, to be set free from being deceived and enslaved to sin. Lord, I pray that that good news would, would transform us, shape us, and uh, have us be excited, Lord, to live for your kingdom and your glory. Fill us with your spirit so we can, we can uh, do these things that you're calling us to do, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.